Hello and welcome everybody to the Michigan Film Vault. We are a podcast dedicated to Michigan films. I don't know if you could tell that by the title, but but there it is. Um, and uh, I am your host, or at least one of them, and my name is Nick Noel. And I'm the other host. My name is Matt Giles. So uh, that's who we are, and I think we should just end it there. You know, yeah. it's not going to get better. Yeah. Um, that's as but, good as it gets. Yeah, as which is a movie we'll never talk about. Um, <laughs> I'll find a way. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so today, uh, for some reason, we're going to talk about the movie Real Steel, which was a middling box office success uh, and seems to, I don't know, kind of have faded away. I don't know if people talk about Real Steel, although I did check... They're still rumored of a real steel two for some reason. Um, anyway, as as usual, you and I probably have vastly different feelings about it. Yeah, we should <laughs> we should come up with a with an alternate title for this show, like just you know, uh, Matt and Nick disagree on movie, or Nick rips Matt a new one, or Matt uh, <laughs> keeps going on about how Michael Keaton's not a bad guy. You know, all those it's, are a little long. Michael Keaton isn't a bad guy. <laughs> The character in the RoboCop movie is a bad person. <laughs> she just can't. This okay. Anyway, uh, I'm not getting into this again. Got into it last time we saw each other. It's just, it just, I can't, I can't do it. I don't have the energy. Fist, fisticuffs were now. thrown. Uh, yeah, sure. Beer bottles broken. Lives ruined. Bloodshed. Yeah, all over Michael Keaton's role in RoboCop, a movie barely anyone likes <laughs> yep <laughs> um so real steel what uh you you you'd mentioned you found some info about this uh do you want to dive into that yeah um so the movie is uh directed by sean levy who's done a lot of different you know uh <laughs> middling type movies yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's the guy if you want a movie to be made and uh mildly competently <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I yeah, not surprisingly, Although I guess. He, given, he, oh, go ahead. Oh no, so go ahead. Sorry. No, <laughs> uh, I some of his movies I've enjoyed. Like I actually really like uh, "This Is Where I Leave You," which is an, an adaptation of a very successful, uh, well-written novel um, mm-hmm. by Jonathan Tropper. Uh, I thought that movie, like, even though it wasn't well received, I I liked it, uh, you know, a reasonable amount. And then I guess the best work that I think, you know, people would agree on that Sean Levy has done is he's um, directed a handful of episodes of Stranger Things, which, <laughs> you know, he he's not probably the reason that it's as good as it is, but he is one of the creative uh, forces behind that show. So, yeah, um, I, I think, are you forgetting the six episodes of The Secret World of Alex Mack that he directed? I did or... not know about the sequel <laughs> of Alex Mack episodes, but now I've just gained some more respect for him. So. <laughs> yeah, that uh-huh. that girl sure could turn into a puddle. Yeah, and you know it. it yeah, she looked like uh, what Capri Sun looked like if you took it out of the out of the cool. <laughs> what are you talking? You mean if you melted down the foil like box? Yep. You know, Capri Sun doesn't look like mercury like when you take it out. Oh yes, it does. Oh. At least what I was drinking. I mean, okay, maybe you were just drinking mercury. Yeah, I mean, I'm known to be quite wild. Like you, that, did so. you did you snap open a thermometer and just guzzle it down? Yeah, 
pretty much. that's dangerous, Matt. Yeah. Well, I like to live on the dangerous side. So soon. yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. Yep. But anyways, uh, so yeah, Sean Levy directs this movie. Um, one of the things that I well, one of the many things that I kind of thought was interesting as far as like the Michigan and the Detroit connection is that um, he chose to set the film at state fairs and other old-fashioned settings that would exude nostalgia and create the warm tone that he was going for, for the father son story in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, I just learned this today that it actually uh, takes place in 2020. So we're kind of, we're, we're, we're in know. the real steel timeline. Exactly. In we, the real steel averse. Yeah. Um, and he did How that. Come because- nobody ever talks about that. You remember when, Back to the, we got to the year that Back to the Future was in. Everybody was all excited. Back Nobody was just too, like, yeah. "Hey, it's 2020. Where the hell are my boxing robots?" Well, I was, you know, as I was shoveling snow today, I was actually screaming that, you know, while mm. I was shoveling snow, just like asking everyone else out there, you know, where's where's our boxing robots? <laughs> you need to start stop accosting your neighbors, especially <laughs> well, with real steel. Uh, related information because they're it's not going to know what you're talking about. It's how I remain so calm because I know on this podcast I'm going to be accosted. So it's like sure. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get out my stuff. Well, first. it's only because you're terrible in everything you've ever thought is wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, that's yeah, all. I get that out while I'm shoveling snow and you know okay. talking about this movie. Well, that's um, nice. But uh, in addition to that, he chose to film in Michigan um, because he was apparently blown away by the Model T automobile plant in Highland Park. Um, and that's why the first like major fight scene um, at Crash Palace takes place there. Um, okay. So, yeah, he apparently fell in love with Michigan. There were a few um, other locations that were debated, but like basically as soon as he saw certain areas of Detroit and other surrounding areas, he decided to film it entirely in Michigan. So even though the movie is meant to, you know, feel like they're traveling around the country, even at one point visiting um, Detroit itself in the movie, um, you know, all of the the road shots, like the kind of middle of nowhere, all that stuff was shot um, in various places around Michigan, which I thought was cool. Um, Apparently it's based on, uh, the famous author and writer uh, Richard Matheson's short story called Steel, which was also, again, apparently a season five episode of The Twilight Zone, which I have mm-hmm. not seen. Um, I I don't think I've seen it either, but it, I don't know. I might have seen like the ending of it because it seems it it kind of like sparked a memory, but I, I I couldn't I couldn't really tell you like what happens. Yeah, and I th- I thought, like, you know, learning that this was based on one of his short stories, I was wondering if it was going to be, like, one of those things, like, where they just borrowed, like, one random, like, you know, tidbit from it, much like, mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand, the movie The Lawnmower Man is, like, based on a Stephen King story, but, like, in title only, and yeah. made, like, <laughs> one character name, so I was thinking that it was going to be like a similar thing because i was like like this seems like kind of like out like not a richard matheson type story but from what i understand about the story like a lot of the elements in the movie are like the overall idea of like robots fighting in place of humans like yeah that, that part i don't think i don't know if the other plot elements are really yeah no, no are really like, that reminiscent the father-son, or the father-son aspects of it like i don't think uh, any of that stuff comes into play but no. I just thought it was interesting that there was more you know 
from the original story that was included in kind of the finished product then um, i mean maybe i guess you could it's a it's a premise you know yeah. it was kind of like uh another one of his stories um when they originally did uh last man on earth i think you know the the will smith movie do you remember that so that, oh, uh, wait is last man on earth or is it are you talking about after earth or i am legend which one sorry i am legend that's what it is <laughs> okay. why did i think last man on earth that was the i was thinking Fox the tv the will Forte. Sitcom. yeah yeah that was yeah you know that movie and and the will smith picture they're all the same thing yeah. um no no i am legend um is a richard matheson story i think the will smith version is closer to what that story is although still not being um a complete adaptation but originally um they'd made a movie called the omega man i think starring charlton heston and that had almost nothing to do with the story (laughs) well there you go so you know a lot of uh uh, history of Richard Matheson's stories being turned into movies that do not resemble his stories at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that um, I like kind of the overall idea um, that Sean Levy had going as far as like why he wanted to um, yeah. shoot in Michigan. I like whatever, you know, our, our differing opinions are on the movie. Um, I think that his approach well, to deciding to film in Michigan, I think that it makes it work. Even if, you know, the like we talk about uh, location playing a character in the movie, even though the, the movie itself is not entirely set in Detroit and Michigan, uh, good chunks of it are. And I think that he makes uh, a lot of like the Michigan locales work for, the story that he's telling so i like that there was kind of more thought behind it than just like the tax incentives or you know like just <laughs> having a place to, to film so I um i mean that. you know i can also see like some that location working with the some of the thematic elements you know like any of the rust belt states um have this uh tension between you know the the manufacturing industry and kind of the um, move towards mechanization and how uh, mechanical and object or robots, I guess we can just call them robots, um, have kind of taken over a lot of the, the jobs that people had used to been doing. Um, so those jobs have been reduced now. And so you can see like thematically uh, kind of this tension between like humans and, and robots kind of taking over um, their positions. It's It's a little... It, that that gets a little tricky because like they haven't really um i guess you know there's some boxers who don't become robot fighters probably most of them um I, my sense is that Hugh Jackman is an is the exception and most of the people are just like video game players but um that aside you know like there hasn't been a reduction in the number of jobs because like they have a robot but then you still need somebody to to uh be to like move the robot um or control the robot but it maybe it's a it's a you know transplant of the people who used to do that work um yeah. so you can see that sort of thematically it's a little messy just like all the themes and plot of this movie are kind of messy and only and don't really work. I'm going to be, I'm, go, I'm just going to say that. Yeah. I, uh, 
I, I will mention too, like as far as it taking place in 2020, apparently that was, you know, a deliberate choice because this movie came out in 2011 and he wanted it to be like in the future, but he didn't want the story to be kind of hampered by um, like all this futuristic looking stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted things to just kind of be a little bit further along than uh, what they are. And so I could see that, like given the story that they wanted to tell, like maybe Matheson's story more focuses on that idea that you were talking about, about like, you know, machines replacing man and, you know, man kind of becoming obsolete um, in many ways. This movie is kind of like, it's just kind of one of those things that exists. Like boxing isn't really done by humans anymore. It's done by, you know, basically gamers, like you said. And then you've got people like Hugh Jackman's character uh, who were once boxers um, kind of using this new technology to, you know, stay relevant. It's, it's, it's one of those things um, where, you know, where that theme, like, it feels like that's what they were trying to say sometimes, or at least the original story is trying to say that, but like boxing, what we, when it, when Richard Matheson wrote it, I think in the fifties or sixties, um, less of a conversation around closed head injuries and the damage that that has. And like, now that we've had, you know, greater understanding and, and more awareness and uh, of that, it it just seems like a better idea. It's like if we're gonna have boxing, we shouldn't have humans doing it. It's horrible. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it 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 can leave you like debilitated or you know unable to function. Give you early onset Parkinson's disease. Like all of this stuff. Uh, yeah. It might not be a bad idea if we if we needed to keep that sport, just have robots do it. Um, it, it is weird uh, that people don't seem to give themselves enough time and to like make a, a world realized, uh, not, not in terms of the film, but like if it came out in 2011, we're supposed to get there in nine years. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, I know what you're saying. Like they do that so that um, they don't have to deal with like weird, you know, technology issues that can still feel like a real place. Um, and apparently the only technological advantage is they have giant robots do their boxing now and then everything else is pretty much the same. I don't think they even have cell phones in this movie, do they? I never saw oh, anybody talk. I was, I was going to mention that because if you, I think, is I, like I never got like a really good look at it. I wasn't like trying to freeze frame a cell phone or something, but like he gets, Hugh Jackman in the opening scene gets a phone call from a guy. Oh, that's right. Okay. But like it seems like what they've done and I mean other movies have done this too, but um they've uh like the the cell phone is almost like tra- transparent or something like you can like when you answer a call you can kind of see through the back of it and like see oh, okay who they're talking to or like you can see the keyboard for instance like coming through on both sides so like there were little things like that that i noticed but again nothing like i mean i could i could see that becoming like some sort of feature of like the iphone 15 or something <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, like, lo- little things like that. Like, once I learned kind of what he was, what Sean Levy was going for um, in terms of the technology, like, I caught little little bits like that that I thought, like, okay, that sure that works. Um, but yeah, I wasn't I wasn't grading it on any kind of like steep curve or anything. Okay. Um. So yeah, yeah, you, you know, you can. I, I appreciate then, like given the potential thematics of this, it does seem like Michigan. If you, if you believe that a place 
can imbue and enhance a story by its history, um, then then I can then I appreciate the the effort that went into to filming it here. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the actual film? Uh, I would just say, like, and I mean, this is a, this is just kind of my interpretation of things, but you know, the movie is um, for better or worse, kind of. Uh, yeah trying to be an underdog story much in the vein of of rocky but you know not in in the same kind of greatness as rocky but i think that oh you don't you don't think this is as good a movie as rocky academy no. award-winning movie rocky huh no we'll get into that interesting because in i thought you would take a very different approach yeah, don't, don't you worry we'll get into it shortly, <laughs> but, uh i do like that like you know um again kind of the the quote-unquote like underdog tale of detroit in many ways like mm-hmm. that's kind of like having uh hugh jackman's um gym or the gym that he shares I mean, evangeline Lilly's character like i think that like that kind of whole thing like it it makes a thematic sense for me to have detroit as kind of the backdrop of everything telling mm-hmm. this kind of like underdog story a little bit like i appreciate that i'm not saying it's the only way to do one of these stories but in this movie i thought it worked you know you just made me realize like the final fight is literally is between an american and what i assume to be a japanese person like it literally just mimics the fight of the you know auto industry of like the 80s and 90s yeah uh i was gonna say continuing on to this day yeah i uh i noticed that like because you know the i think it's like the second to last fight is actually in Detroit at the Rensen, and then mm-hmm. the final Detroit, the final fight is supposed to be like at the what, like the Bing Arena or something like that in New York City. But if you look at it when they like show the exterior, they just went to the other side of the Rensen, <laughs> like along the Detroit River, and you can like tell like looking into it, you're like, oh yeah, it's the Rensen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate like reusing uh, locations like that, which is not like new to any movie like this. So you do things but i like that you know show that they're at Rensen in detroit they go and, and you mm-hmm. know to pretend that they're in new york they go they shoot just on the other side of, <laughs> uh, so, well, yeah so okay so this movie tell me why why you wanted to do this <laughs> i guess what are you what are your thoughts about the movie overall <laughs> listen uh I like it. I don't think it's a great movie. I'm saying like my own bias. Okay, but you do like it. Yeah, I like so, it because hmm, it's a, already okay. Yeah, tell me. I'm I, I'm not. I don't want you to feel attacked, but uh, I may. But I'm may, on the, I guess I'm on I don't. The, but I am. Want, I do want to attack you. So tell I, me what what you what is what is what do you like like about this movie? <laughs> like you have a feeling about it. It's, it's that a, I don't understand. But it's a father. It's a father-son movie, and I'm I'm guilty of liking many like cheesy father-son movies. And I like you know there there are we'll get into kind of like the nitpicky things or the things that I think don't necessarily work. But overall, I think that like for a movie that is arguably like you know from premise alone something that looks like Rock'em Sock'em Robots, um, like I think it has a lot of heart, and I think it kind of gets dismissed for. Um, you know, for, for having like, you know, kind of wearing its, its emotion on its sleeves, I guess. And like being this, you know, father, son, 
boxing underdog story mm -hmm. that is about you know the father reconnecting to the son and both of them learning like yeah these stories stories of that like emotional weight i guess have been told many times before but uh i just i like it i think it it does a good job i think um you know hugh jackman there's there's some things about his performance that i'll talk about that um don't really work but i think like by the end of the movie like it's like by and large this movie is really cheesy and it's going for the cheese like un unapologetically but i just kind of look at it and i'm like you know what it's it's working on me i get choked up at the end when like you know he tries to tell his son that he loves him and he's like you know your secret's safe with me kind of thing like all of that just works for me and i'm a sucker for any kind of father-son movie um so that's that's basically why it works okay so so here's my counter argument i i think i i never felt anything watching this movie i never felt like there was a connection between the son and the dad i never felt like there was any kind of moments of catharsis or anything or reconciliation like in the beginning he's he just he's such a bad guy that like i don't see him like he doesn't even do anything to be redeemed really except like kind of ask his kid or like go there and ask them to like let the kid come to the final boxing match but like the movie is uh, presenting itself as this story of this father and son but the guy literally sells the kid in the first third of the movie like to the his, the kid's aunt and like rich you know uncle i guess technically um her aunt's rich husband for a hundred thousand dollars and like like literally the psychological damage that that would be doing to a child once he found out about it can't be uh mitigated or uh erased by like yeah but then my dad took me to a boxing match like it doesn't it's too bad an act to be redeemed <laughs> like mm. through the actions of this movie when he's not doing anything uh help like fatherly until the last like 10 minutes really or like taking any action that isn't selfish you know, like, yeah, he's with the kid, but, like, he's also making money off this kid, kid's ideas and robots, you know? So, like... Well, so a few things. <laughs> One, I, 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 I see your point, and I, it's obviously up to, you know, whoever the viewer is to determine whether or not he's redeemed. But I would argue that, like, the first hints of it are when... Um, you know, when they first go to the junkyard and uh, he um, he falls down like on the on the cliff or whatever. And then Hugh Jackman like gets him. And then like once he pulls him to safety, um, you know, you, you see that moment of like the relief on Hugh Jackman's you know face. And like you can see kind of like the start of the start of something. That's, that, I wouldn't that's say what that the movie. Not... That's what the movie is telling you is happening. What I'm saying, it doesn't matter. The, it it It's. It's a fundamentally too dark and evil an act to be redeemed by him feeling good about his kid, this child not being dead. Like, mm. that's, it, it, you know, like, sometimes people are just bad people, and regardless of what the movie is telling you, like, 
you you can't forgive them <laughs> like you think though that like and you know obviously it'll go back to the argument about like this is what the movie is telling you but do you think that his son kind of wanting to be similar to him and like you know they kind of when he said when he realizes like he essentially sold him for a hundred grand and he got the 50 grand right now the kid like wants to get in on like kind of the bets with him and then as the movie progresses and they start winning money like you see when they get um at one point when they get jumped by one of the guys that uh hugh jackman owes money to um Mm -hmm. they take the money from his son and like hugh jackman screams out like you know leave him alone like that's his money and all that stuff so my i'm not saying that like redeems anything but i'm just curious if you think it it is a bad person putting a child in danger for selfish reasons (laughs) like uh yeah that like because he wants this money or because he needs this or because he keeps needing to do robot boxing, a child is put in danger. It's, 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 it's a bad selfish person doing bad selfish things. All right. Like regardless of that, like, like what's the alternative? He says like, yeah, take his money. Like take that kid's money, beat him up. Not me. Like, uh, I don't know. I think I like, again, there you're, all valid points, but it's like, again, kind of like the finished product or the movie that like Sean Levy was interested in making. It's like, even like the dangerous, like seedy underground, like areas in this movie, like aren't, there aren't really, you never feel like there are any stakes necessarily. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Like, but that's also bad. That's a yeah, bad, no, that I there agree. are no I'm, stakes. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying though, that like, that's kind of, you know, uh, it's not, I guess, an argument against him being a bad guy, but it's just kind of like the movie's not interested in it. Um, so, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a, I, I, I get what you're saying. It's like, I don't know. I just, I guess I feel that he's, he is redeemed in some ways, even though he is, you know, arguably putting his, his child in danger. Like, I think that kind of the emotional payoff at the end is like, it, it basically hinges the- on whether or not you buy um like that kind of redemption arc and if you don't the whole movie doesn't work but but. like the end like even then the movie then shifts to just really being about him like it the idea that the kid is in any way a part of this really the movie doesn't make a convincing argument for like you know they they build this up they you know have this robot the the robots you know fighting and then, like, it loses the ability to hear. So they're trying to humanize the robot, which they didn't convincingly do any time before this. Then they, then they make it so that Hugh Jackman is the one who is, like, mimicking the boxing moves so that the ro- he's actually, the robot's just, like, fighting as him. So really, it's him doing it. So it's more like a John Henry kind of story, like man versus machine. Um, sort of, except that, like, all the, like, you know, they, they set it up that way so that, um, you can get this machine versus like man at the end where, um, you know, the robot is just this program that is constantly learning. Um, it's not, you know, manually controlled like other robots. It's more, you know, um, uh, it's, it's more like autonomous, um, 
But then they have the creator of that robot switch it over and take over controls of it, and then just negating their whole freaking point about man versus machine because now it's just two men against each other. Like, um, but then, like, like I was saying, like, so Hugh Jackman's the one who's like fighting as the robot, and so it's just about him becoming a boxer again. Like, it does that. That's people aren't good fa- fathers because they know how to make robots fight well. Like, that's not a redemption. That's as a father, that's a redemption as I get to live the the dream that I didn't have. And the movie doesn't know which story it's trying to tell. Are you trying to tell about him being a better person or being able to overcome and and be redeemed? Uh, not redeemed, but, but you know, live live this dream, you know, like achieve something that was taken away because of circumstances. Like which which story? Which is it? It and it tries to do both, and so it doesn't work. Yeah. See, I don't know. I guess I'm. Uh, You're gonna hate this movie by the time we're done. I'm gonna no, make I'm, you hate I, this I'm, movie. I'm fully <laughs> admitting that I'm a sucker for this movie. Like, and I, you know, I just don't care. <laughs> like, okay. Like, I just like the again kind of the emotional uh you know payoff of the father and son kind of you know finding each other by the end of the movie like anything that has come before if if it's mediocrity if it's if it's passable you know it's it, it's working on me um so i that i can't defend myself for liking this movie other than i just have my own you know biases mm-hmm. when it comes to these kind of you know cheesy movies uh but i would say so let's let's Okay, go ahead, and then yeah. then we'll, I have some other stuff to talk. About. <laughs> I, well, no, I just I would say that um, I think you know again it's going to come down to like our opinions on things, but from from how I read it is that he's obviously a damaged guy, which doesn't excuse him being a shit father. However, um, he is uh, someone who's like clearly like kind of been beaten down and kind of like on his on his last bit of luck as it were mm-hmm. so like everything that kind of comes in the first half of this movie is more of like a defense you know um of letting someone in which is again it sounds cheesy and corny and all that kind of stuff but i think that kind of the turn for me is when um he's on the roof with uh, evangeline Lilly's character and like they have this kind of like heart to heart moment and he's kind of like admitting that, um, you know, he, he didn't think he could ever be a good father. So he thought that leaving his son when he was a, when he was young was like the best thing for him. And then you have mm-hmm. that moment kind of just before that scene of him telling his son that, um, that you deserve better than me. Like, I think that like other people in this role um, and, by by no means does Hugh Jackman do a perfect job, but I think that like those like um, important emotional moments, I think he hits and sells to the point where like you're like okay, only Hugh Jackman could kind of deliver this you know emotional gut punch here and um, you know earn kind of the the ending of the movie to where you're rooting for him and you're also rooting for him and his mm-hmm. son to kind of reach this. Um, this moment where like they both kind of see one another and, you know, want the other person in their lives kind of thing. So that like, again, all the other stuff, everything you've said is 100% true. 
Uh-huh. I don't I don't dispute it, but I'm just saying like for me it's those moments that kind of okay. win me over for my own, you know, silly bias so, when it comes to these stories. So the the other thing is that this movie is telling you that he wasn't able to achieve this this goal, this dream to to, to be his best because um, you know, robot boxing got outlawed. Or not robot boxing, but regular boxing got outlawed. You know, so this is this thing was taken away. But then the rest of the movie is telling you that, yeah, he probably isn't that great at this. Like he he had a, you know, middling record, like he won by knockouts, but then also like um lost almost half the time. Uh he and then throughout this entire movie, whenever he's in, almost every time when he's in charge of the robot, he's bad at it. Like the robot loses definitively and very quickly. Like it seems like this is, this could be a very sad movie about someone chasing a dream that they are just good enough to do at a high level, but not good enough to be like the best at it and really probably should have stopped like at this point um well that's the thing though is that he's uh like again the 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 robot itself adam is very much you know like they, they don't they don't try and like shy away from it it's like his story is hugh jackman's story and vice versa so it's like he says he's a, a sparring bot built to take a lot of hits but never really kind of dish out any kind of pain and that's essentially like what you're describing with like Hugh Jackman's character. Charlie is his name in the movie. But it's, it's not like they never say that he takes a lot. Like they say that. He I mean, hints at it when he went out, when he lost that, that fight in the, in yeah. the 12th round or whatever. So he went 12 rounds. Um, yeah, but and- that's just boxing. Like, <laughs> I know, I'm just saying, like, like, what are you talking about? Just- they're trying to like, and my point to what you're, what you said about like, you know, every time he's in control, he's terrible at it. Yes. He's terrible at it when he's trying to like say the commands and do everything else. When at the end of the movie, when both of them, uh, when he's like shadow boxing essentially, and he's in control, then they're successful. And I think like, that's what they're trying to get at is that like, he's doubted himself so much um, over the years that he's resorted to, using the controls or using the voice commands and it's just not as good as him actually, you know, doing, doing it himself. And even though it's outlawed, the closest thing you can get in this movie to him actually stepping in the ring is doing mm-hmm. you know, the shadowing for Adam. So that's what I think. Again, okay. I think they do successfully. You obviously don't No, Like I, I, ne- I didn't, I literally felt nothing. I felt nothing <laughs> when they lost. I felt nothing when it seemed like they could win. I didn't care. Um, like, you know, and it's also like trying to tie it. Like, I don't know how other movies do this because they do when they make inanimate objects um, have a sense of humanity. You know, they anthropomorphize them. And they're trying to do that with this robot. But like fundamentally, like with all these robots, like you're, you're removing the stakes uh from boxing and so like i don't i don't understand why i I guess part of it's like i don't understand why anybody would be watching this like why (laughs) they need this so bad to like you know 
to like have boxing so much that we have to have robots doing it. Like, I think if we outlawed it, people would just, you know, stop, stop. They wouldn't make robot stuff when they outlaw other things. Do we make robot things? Like, has this I mean, ever probably, come up before? We're kind, of, we're kind of there at this point. I mean, I guess that's video games. You know, they outlawed violence, and then we just have video games now. So I, I guess they outlawed it. You know, it doesn't happen anymore. Um, but okay, so I guess that's fair enough. You know, maybe, maybe that would happen. Um, I guess just trying to get back to, like, I just never felt like a feeling like this robot you know, had any kind of connection or did anything like there wasn't, there didn't seem to be, they were postulating that this robot was special, but it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel like, you know, um, you know, other movies have had like, you know, you know, I was thinking of like big hero six and, uh, you know, even, Oh, what's that? What's that robot one from the eighties? Um, short circuit, circuit, you know, but like granted those robots have some kind of autonomy and are acting. I, I guess that's why it's because they are acting um, on their own. Uh, and this robot is still a puppet, no matter what, it doesn't have any agency. It's just a puppet. Yeah. I, again, I think the, the way that um, I, the movie tries to make an excuse or, or, you know, counter that argument, I guess, is that, you know, it's kind of like uh, <clears throat> through Hugh Jackman's performance um, and through kind of everything, like their interactions, like, because they do talk about, like, he, he teaches him how to, how to box, like, so aside from the, um, like, the shadow boxing type stuff, like, I think even though your point is correct about, like, the Adam himself being, like, a puppet, I think yeah. that he his programming allows him to learn from his son and from Hugh Jackman. I think that that kind of is what they're trying to do as far as like, you care about the robot because you care about Hugh Jackman and again, vice versa. Yeah. Uh, so I guess like, you have to care about Hugh Jackman to care about yeah. the robot, which I don't. Yeah. Like <laughs> if, if like halfway through the movie, Hugh Jackman had just been hit by a truck and his character was dead, I wouldn't care. Like I'd just be like, good, fine. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. He probably he probably shouldn't be in the rest of this movie. So it doesn't sound like you didn't feel any emotion. It sounds like it sounds no, like no. you just feel anger. No, no, I that's the thing. I wasn't even angry. It was just like, why are you why? Why what? It was just it was a little bit of confusion, but mostly just like a complete apathy towards anything that's happening in the film. <laughs> um you know, for like there's there's things I'm confused about. Like, why do people care? Like, they seem to be saying, like, oh, these crazy cool robots. Like, people are um, imbuing, um, like, feelings into the robot when they're, you know, as if they are the boxer, you know? Like, how we uh, idolize Muhammad Ali or, or any of those people, um, you know, reaching that status. But they also acknowledge that the robots aren't actually the ones fighting. It's the people controlling them. So why aren't the control? And, and then it's really only one of the creators is, is venerated in the same way. So it, that was a disconnect for me. Like, what do people actually latch on to? You know, are they into the robot? Or are they into the person fighting like using controlling the robot like what is who is the personality in this and if it's the robot why is it the robot 
Like, why does anyone care about these specific robots? It doesn't seem like they have any kind of, like, agent. It, it's like, you know when in NASCAR, like, people don't do a commercial with just the car. People don't, like, want to go and hang out and, like, say, like, wow, that car is really great. No, it's the driver. They care about the driver. Like, they may appreciate the car, but they're not like, hey, yeah, we could just stick in any old idiot into this great car and it'd be fine. I mean, sure. Um... Am I, is that too, maybe that's nitpicky, I, I understand. But, like, it was, like, tripping my brain, like, why anybody cares, why these I robots mean... are treated like celebrities. I mean, I, my thing, I, I don't have a good answer for you. You don't have any like, good answers for anything, Matt. <laughs> listen, listen I, you're a producer on this movie, and you have to answer for it. Yeah. No, the, <laughs> uh, the, I, my, my cynical answer is that, like, people need to be entertained, to which I know you'll then say, but why with robots? <laughs> no, okay. Like, I'll I accept I, that people like the robot boxing. I'll yeah, accept I, it. I, I, I don't know why robot boxing, except for it, it's it's the premise of this movie. So we just got to <laughs> buy that people, you know, they want their, their robot boxing for, for better or worse, and they demand okay. to be entertained. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say, and I truly, this might be a completely invalid argument, but to your point about, like, why do we care? Like, it's not like the NASCAR, like, why do we care about this, that, or the other thing? The only thing I could think of because I, you know, I love back to the future is that, you know, the, the DeLorean is not, uh, it, it, you know, you care about Marty and doc, but at the same time in back to the future three, when it's destroyed on the train tracks, I think, I think people feel a little something and that might be because it is a time machine and all that stuff. But that would be the, that's the, the first thing that came into my mind about like trying to think of an example no. of, caring about a machine that arguably mm -hmm. has not earned you know has not done anything other than just be there um you know i think yeah. i think feel something when you see that thing destroyed at the end of back to the future three but feel free to say that that's completely inaccurate and wrong <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. i don't i don't know if i ever cared that the delorean was destroyed really so you're only okay. We're establishing that you're just, you're cold-hearted. <laughs> I am not cold-hearted. I, I just don't, I don't know if that's what the movie was trying to say, but I definitely, just because a movie is telling me this is how I'm supposed to feel, I don't immediately believe it. They have to, they have to provide a reason, and I just didn't think this movie did. Um uh, what, uh, but like, but I it did make me think of. Do you remember? Oh God, it must have been what twenty years ago, something like that. On Comedy Central, they had those battle bots, yeah, yeah, like thing. Um, and and those the robots were the characters, and you kind of felt bad when the robot was destroyed. So I guess I can see it, you know, as I'm as I'm thinking about. But but then like maybe that was a joke because it was on Comedy Central, so. I don't know. I, don't know. This, I might have not sound... just been sophisticated enough to, to understand what was going on. This will sound really cheesy, and it's in no way going to win you over as far as this movie goes. But I think, like, to answer your question again about, like, why do you care about, like, a robot who's not, um, like, who's essentially nothing more than a puppet, I think, like, they for me, they succeed with, like, the way that, like, the design of the robot, and specifically, like, 
Adam's eyes. Like they arguably don't do anything, but the way that it's been designed in the movie, it's like you might be putting your own emotion or projecting like whatever you feel onto him because of that. But I think Mm -hmm. that like there's enough shots in the movie of the kid kind of looking at him and looking at his eyes and like, you know, that kind of being, um, the yeah the, the emotional resonance there i guess but I, I guess i buy that that's what they're trying to do yeah i just didn't believe them when they <laughs> told me that this is how you should feel so let me without without derailing things too much and going into a conversation about another movie i'm, I'm putting you on the spot here but considering my bias is is father-son mm-hmm. uh, stories do any come to mind like any father-son type movies that you enjoy that you think like accomplish what this movie was trying to accomplish as far as like the father-son relationship being earned at the Um, end you know i'm sure if i thought a lot about it i could i could come up with something um you know the first thing that if you just talk about a father-son relationship you know this will i i hope this will show that i am not a it is not that i don't feel uh emotional at just nothing like uh in tommy boy the relationship between brian dennehy and chris farley when brian dennehy dies like i was that that moved me more than this entire movie like when the wind comes at the end of Tommy Boy, like that's great. Um, and I gotta say, of all the examples that I thought you were gonna go with, I would have never predicted. I don't, Tommy Boy, you know, I, I I respect that. Yeah, so I'm trying to pick a goofy one, so you know, like it doesn't have to be this like hard hitting drama to, to get. Oh, me going. I agree. I agree. But, There's plenty out there. Um, like that, that and I don't know. I'm trying to think of uh, the next one that that I thought of was Face Off. So, um, but that's not a great example because the guy just basically replaces his son. So, <laughs> yeah, um, that maybe maybe not not a not a good show. I don't know. I, I have a hard time like remembering like specific things. Can you think of some movies? Maybe I'll 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 agree with them or not. Well, that's I'll what we'll do. Like, we'll just I'll- go through a list of all your favorite things and I'll tell them you why they're shit. No, well, I don't know if this will if this will incur more wrath, but one that doesn't work for me that works for a lot of other people that I finally saw a few years ago was um, Field of Dreams. I don't think hmm. that that movie at the end of it when he says like Dad, can we have a catch? Like I don't like there was nothing. There wasn't enough of the father son kind of relate. Like it's you, you could argue that it's throughout the movie. Um, in many ways, like by the father not being there, but like they're just, it felt like a payoff without any kind of like, uh, I don't know, any kind of setup or any kind of uh, like to your point, catharsis. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I've that- never seen Field of Dreams. Yeah, it's. I've never I, had I, a real I desire to. It, yeah, I went into it expecting to to really to really like it, but I mean, like again, we we were talking about. Um, uh, the dreadful we at least agreed on how bad batman v superman was but i i joked but was also serious there about like the one scene that i enjoy is when you know superman ends up talking to his dad played by kevin costner Mm -hmm. and he says i miss you dad like all of that stuff like that's what i'm talking about where i'm a sucker for these types of movies and these scenes and similarly like just in 
Uh, I think I mentioned it in that episode too, in the movie Justice League, which is also abysmal. But yes. when they go to resurrect Superman and take him out of his coffin, and he's got a picture of of uh, Kevin Costner, as his dad. so like that stuff works. I'm like, oh, that's, that's a sweet moment. Okay, like, yeah. So mm. I'm I fully admit that I am completely biased, and that complete uh, critical faculty goes out the window when it comes to movies like these. But uh, but yeah, so. I have no defense, but that's okay. my defense. Um, what's a let's let's get off of this this emotional topic. I think we've we've uh, you know run that well dry. Um, <laughs> what like is there anything else you enjoy about this movie? I guess like it's got this. Let's accept that the core premise is this relationship with this, or the core theme is this relationship between uh, this father and the son and that it works fine, whatever. Um, uh, what do you, what do you feel about like the story in itself? Like going out and fighting robots. I, don't know, I think it's, is that, uh, is that in any way engaging? Yeah. I don't know if it's engaging. I, um, but it, as far as like me watching the movie, like I think we've pretty much had like the exact opposite reactions to it. Like it's a fun, like dumb movie. Like, it, like I don't, yes. I'm not looking at it to be like this amazing thing. Like it's just kind of like you know what, this is entertaining. The you know again, uh, the father son aspect works for me. But like as far as like the robots, like the fights are fun. I enjoy personally like seeing you know the the, the Michigan and the Detroit locations. Mm-hmm throughout um i think that everyone does uh, a pretty good job the one thing that i wanted to mention as far as like you know uh if i'm gonna nitpick things is that like we talked in one of the last episodes when we were talking about super sucker like the (laughs) yeah um the the theater actor or the theater acting kind of like showing through like the the tendency to go big to go broad Mm -hmm. and i feel like there are a lot of scenes where like Sean Levy as a director, in my opinion, is not talented enough to rein, <laughs> to rein Hugh Jackman in because Hugh Jackman really kind of go like every reaction that he has, like when he's angry and stuff like that, it's like kind of pushing it a little bit too mm-hmm. far. Um, and he's going for like kind of, you know, he's got a theater and musical background. So he's going for that big, like broad stage kind of presence. And I don't think that, um, you know, he needs to do that. Although again, Mm -hmm. other scenes in the movie, like again, when he says like, you deserve better than me. Um, And specifically I noticed this time around and watching it um, because I've seen the movie before, but um, when Anthony Mackie tells him that he's a bad bet and like Hugh Jackman kind of has that look of defeat on his face. Like, I think there are little moments like that throughout that, um, you know, I think he does well, but overall, there's a lot of his performance where it's like, I wish you like kind of, a better director could have like reigned this. <laughs> um, and the only other thing that I thought I'd like nitpick at is like Evangeline Lilly is fine in the movie, but at, at certain points she says Charlie like way too many times. Like when she's talking to him or lecturing <laughs> in the gym, it's like Charlie is every other word. She's like, mm-hmm. Charlie, you need to do this, Charlie. Why am I doing this with you, Charlie? Like, it just, it's like, man, okay, we don't need to say his name every five seconds, but those little things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I thought, I thought the performances were pretty good. At least I, I didn't think anybody was doing a bad job. Let me put it that way. And I thought with what they were given, they were, they were kind of doing the best they could. 
Um, I would agree, like, everybody kind of goes into an extreme version of what this character could be. You know, like, Kevin Durant, uh, Durant as, like, the bad guy, kind of Ricky, who keeps beating up Hugh Jackman. He is, like, such a jerk. Like, such, like, a smarmy asshole that, like, I don't know, like... always? Like, that guy does kind of have, like, a unfortunate... Uh, a face that is built for that kind of character. I don't know what it is about him. Yeah. Um, he was, Anthony he Mackie was, is charming as he always is, you know, yeah. um, even if he's in a, a, only a little bit of that movie. Um, I would say, I wonder with like the bigger performances or why they're, you know, some could say like hamming it up a bit. I wonder if there's any kind of um, insecurity on the part of actors sometimes when you're dealing with like such heavy CGI stuff that like one, it's hard to figure out how to interact with it sometimes uh, since, you know, it's not there. But then two, if you're going to get overshadowed by this big spectacle, if you don't really like display something for the audience. So I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, I I will. I should say too, um, uh, that I I learned in looking at the trivia for this movie that um, they did actually like a lot of it was CGI, but they they did actually go through the process of like building like the robots and Mm -hmm. puppeteering them. So it's it's a mix of of both, which I actually like, you know, again, trying not to uh, uh, defend the movie too much, but I I kind of respect that they they went, you know, for um, like actually having practical effects in addition to using mm-hmm. CGI. But I agree. Like, um, yeah, like maybe because it's like one of the, like the concept is, you know, air quotes, big concept movie, like the actors then feel the need to, to ham it up. Um, I don't know. Like there, there's just a lot of scenes, like, like even when Hugh Jackman isn't interacting with, with the robot, like when he's first mad about um, they get like noisy boy or whatever. And, the voice command won't work and the kid discovers that it's because he's programmed in Japanese, like mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman freaking out and like doing all that stuff. Like that just felt like he was acting in a completely different movie. Um, like he was getting mad so quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like he was going for like the big overreaction. Like he's, he's a time bomb kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. It could be to, yeah. Like the fact that you're in this kind of like big or high concept movie again in air quotes that you feel the need like to to really bring like the big and the bold um to your performance which i don't think is is necessary but it yeah. still happens in these types of movies okay well i can uh yeah. i i think I can, I, th- I can see that yeah i and i think kevin durand <laughs> i always like like when he shows up and things i'm like oh i know you're gonna be like just such a slimy asshole <laughs> um, he was, I think, like, of everything that I've seen him in, I, you know, I, I can't remember all the movies. Like, I feel like he's in literally everything. But um, <laughs> he was particularly, like, a son of a bitch in, in Lost um, as, uh, uh, what was it, Martin Kimi or something like that. Like, he shows up in season four when they've when, when the whole mm. freighter storyline is going on. And then later on, he shows up in, in the final season uh, in, in you know, what is now known as the afterlife, uh, being just as slimy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I always thought like he, you know, a lot of these roles, he gets to have fun. Like, I think it, his teeth are just so, uh, so large that like he just looks, I don't know, evil. And I feel bad. Like, 
calling him out for that, but like you, you know what I'm talking about. Like when you see him, it's just like he's all teeth. Like he's just like you feel like he's going to be biting. You. He's just going to like swallow you whole like a snake. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't realize I'd forgotten that he was in uh, X Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, uh, he's he's under an f- unfortunate amount of uh, prosthetics and like a a, a fat suit as well. Yeah, player. yeah, he plays the Blob, right? Is yeah, that the? Yeah. They call it Fred Dukes, but yeah, that's yeah. weird. Um, remember when that was going to be a thing when they were going to do the origins for everybody, and then they started with Wolverine, and nobody well, liked it, and they're like, "Yep, oh, never mind, going to do something well, else now." Well, because the Magneto one is what turned into First Class, which I maintain. God yeah. help me if this is a controversial opinion, but I love First Class. I, to yeah, me, I like First Class too. Yeah, like it's uh, that, well, fir- that first one at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I First Class for me is arguably like my favorite. Like of the X Men movies, I think it gets X Men right for what I know about it. Like mm-hmm. even going back and watching X Two, which was originally I feel like everyone's favorite. Like that movie doesn't hold up quite as well i feel like first class is 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 fun but where i'm also in the minority is that people really go for like logan which which i do too i love logan but i really am a big fan of uh the wolverine because i feel like it's the last like you know wolverine kind of in his prime Mm -hmm. adventure like standalone story in japan uh and i really i really yeah yeah that one was okay you know i remember liking it more than some of the other ones um i think logan is the best one like it's the best movie i don't know if it's the only problem with logan is it's not a movie that i want to rewatch. yeah you know, that's it's what, just that's so I mean. like depressing and sad you know it's kind of like the road but with x-men yeah I don't, you know, not to derail this since we're talking about real steel, but you know, Hugh Jackman is the connection. So let's go with it. But um, my argument would be because the Wolverine and Logan were directed by James Mangold. And I thought that the Wolverine kind of did a good job of like establishing stakes for a character that, um, you know, was basically indestructible. So like they give him um, that uh, the virus or like the little machine or whatever that's like um, inside of him that's causing his ability to heal to be threatened and so mm-hmm. <clears throat> I give the Wolverine a little bit more credit because it was the first you know it, it came before Logan obviously so it was the first one where I was like ooh this is like this is how you do like an X-Men movie like you focus on one character it's a standalone story but then you give it some emotional heft by like actually worrying that he's not going to make it Mm-hmm. to the end because you know now his healing ability has been damaged and then when you get to logan like they've already done that in the wolverine and obviously like this is many years later but that's kind of why <clears throat> if i was ranking the movies i would always put like first class as number one and then i'd probably tie the wolverine and logan at number <sighs> two so matt the way you judge movies i will never understand yeah but okay like <laughs> I guess maybe, I mean, I can sort of understand First Class above Logan in that, like, you would watch First Class again, and it makes you feel good watching it more, and it's fun to watch, whereas Logan is not a fun movie to watch. But it is ridiculous to put Wolverine and Logan at the same, like, no. Like, one is, like, legitimately if there wasn't such a stigma against superhero movies would be like a great work of cinema. And the other one is just a fun movie. So 
See, I think whatever. I, it's fine. I, Where I, would you I, put X Men Origins Wolverine? Oh no, that one I don't. I the like, only like the only third? good thing I can say. No, the only good thing I can say about X Men Origins Wolverine is that I like that movie better than X Men Three, which is not saying much. Like, <laughs> is shit. But if yeah. I had to, if like gun to my head, if I had to choose between one of them, I could be entertained by X Men Origins Wolverine simply because I love Liev Schreiber. Um, and mm. I'll watch him in, in almost anything, but I don't. I would not rank the, either movie high that on, on my list. So. That opening kind of animation, like time uh, where they where they kind of uh, explain, you know, how long these two characters have been around and what they've been doing um, in X Men Orange. I think that was in X Men Oranges or Oranges yeah. Origins. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty good. That goes a long way to making that movie seem cool. And then yeah. kind of just well, sputtered out. Since we're since we're on this, let me just I I want to provide at least one response to what you said to me, which was absolutely uh, not. Time to end the yeah. podcast. We'll see you later, everybody. No, okay, no uh, the reason that I would put X Men First Class at number one is because if we're talking about ranking X Men movies, like quote unquote, like with the ensemble cast or whatever, like I would by default go for one of the ones that focuses on like a group of characters rather than just one of them. Mm -hmm. But I could very easily, like I would be perfectly fine tying first class Logan and the Wolverine for me all at, at number one or, you know, like those you really, you really got to drop that Wolverine down before or else I'm never going to respect you, Matt, but that's no, fine. I'm telling, if you <laughs> go back and watch it, I honestly, the Wolverine and you Logan go back and watch it are very much like companion pieces. I like, you can't have Logan without everything that happens in the Wolverine, in my opinion. And yes, you can. Logan is basically a standalone movie. Like, so the you don't have to. Yeah. But then, but then you don't need either of them for the other one to exist. I'm saying that the stakes are established in the Wolverine and it's made by the same filmmaker. So they are both pieces and connected to one another in that sense. Okay, fine, fine. Yeah. We'll leave it there. <laughs> um, uh, what else? Okay. So real steel, whatever it's, it's done. We, uh, interesting, like we interesting conversation. What, uh, what else have you been doing? I feel like we should rename this to our our first our first interactions with one another and do the film assassins because we I feel like <laughs> out of the Michigan Film Vault we you know between one or both of us we end up assassinating whatever film <laughs> is not like we pull it out we, of the vault. We both liked we, we both liked Gross Point Blank to to lesser, yeah, but I think you started that extent. one off by saying like if I didn't love it then you had no respect for me. Okay, like, well you know I am. Nothing if not hyperbolic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, no, I, we agree on on um, on, uh, on RoboCop. So yeah, and we both didn't like Super Sucker. So no, you. Liked, for, you were defending Super Sucker. Was I? I okay. Well, yeah. so I wouldn't. I think, yeah. Okay. Well, you're watch, right. I think if people watch Super Sucker and Real Steel and, think, and gun to their head had to choose which one of us they'd side with, I feel like I would win this debate. Like. Uh yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, so. I don't disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one's like a real movie. Yeah. One's this crazy, weird nonsense. And I'll let the audience decide which one is which. Yeah. Um. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, uh, last night I finally saw, not that anyone is like really clamoring to see these movies, but to further dig myself into the hole, Amber and I went to see um, 
and Jumanji the next level, which I, okay. I, I, cool. again, I, I don't care. Like the original Jumanji I grew up with, like it's great. Mm-hmm. Jumanji, welcome to the jungle a few years ago. It, they are tonally completely different movies, but I had a lot of fun with the mm-hmm. last one. And so this movie I was, I was actually pretty excited about. And uh, I got to say it, it delivered. It was, uh, it's oh, yeah? good, it was a pretty good sequel. So um, That's I, cool. I had fun. I, I liked the first Jumanji a lot more than I, not the first, the, what is it? Jumanji. Welcome, Welcome to, the, to jungle. the jungle. Yeah. Is that what it is? Okay. I, uh, I liked that a lot more than I thought I would. I, I think a lot of that's just the charisma of the cast and their, you know, commitment to the goofy nonsense happening. But yeah. um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's always, you know, those things are fun. Um, I think they are very indicative that, uh, Hollywood only wants to make things that have been, that are part of some sort of larger franchise. Yeah. Like, Ooh, will people recognize it? Let's make it. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. And I'm, I'm like to, you know, just jumping on, you know, me being guilty of, of these different things. Uh, I am completely guilty of, you know, like there are the movies that I want to see that like, you know, I would be interested in seeing to make like a best of list Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But then a lot of times when I'm choosing to go to the movies, it's like, I would prefer to watch like the more art house, like critically praised, like foreign films or whatever, like at home, like on my own, if I'm going to the movie, I kind of want something, you know, loud and I guess bombastic that like, (laughs) you know, earns the, the ability to be seen on a, on a, a large screen like that. So that it was kind of like to put it bluntly like i still haven't seen um parasite and everyone including like film critics that i respect like have put it at their number one of the year and i still haven't seen it so it was like Mm -hmm. it was between that and jumanji uh the next level and i was like you know what like it's a friday night and while i will probably really enjoy parasite i am in the mood for like a loud dumb action movie and so I more often than not will make that decision and save the movies like Parasite or, or any of these other kind of artistic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, critically praised films for like when I'm at home and can watch them like on my own kind of thing. So yeah, that's not always the rule, but just in general, mm-hmm. I, I'm guilty of that because I, I become such an old man and I hate going to the movie theater <laughs> anymore because I feel like just the people there always ruin it for me. Like, okay, well sure. Yeah. They so, are anyways, what people have, what are you, terrible. Yeah. Uh, what have you been up to? Oh goodness. Um you know, I'm similar to you. I I don't usually like going to the theater anymore. Um it's why I like this podcast because it's all for the most part movies that came out, you know, three to fifteen years ago. Yeah. Uh it's easy to find. Um but you know, I'm trying to think of like stuff I've been getting into um, I recently rewatched Silence of the Lambs because um, I was listening to Blank Check, which is another movie podcast, and they're doing the films of Jonathan Demme, um, and they got into Silence of the Lambs. So it, it really intrigued me. You know, I'd only seen it a couple times, so I wanted to watch it again. And, and it's, you know, it's just it. such a good movie. It's so fucking good. Like, there isn't a bad part in that movie. And, um, so I really, I'm really glad I rewatched it, you know, like yeah, there were parts I, uh, that I'd forgotten about, like, um, 
you know, the dynamic that Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins have in that film is just like so incredible, like piece of acting that I think has ever almost ever happened on screen. Like it's some of the greatest work that anyone's ever done. So it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that movie's uh, and, really good. And something I'd, I hadn't noticed, um, is that there's such little gore in it and like actual violence per se. Yeah. Um, it's still an intensely like creepy and, you know, atmospheric, I guess, for lack of a, a better word movie, um, that fills with like tension, you know, but, but there's, you know, aside for a few flashes, like very little, actual violence happens on screen. You know, most of the people who are killed, uh, it happens um, either before the movie starts or off screen somewhere. Yeah. Um, my, I don't know if you've watched um, Mindhunter at all on Netflix, but it, I that show, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. That shows very, like aside from the opening scene in the, in the first episode, like it's very much the same thing where like a lot of the violence is talked about and described. And maybe you see like, flashes of like mm-hmm. a dead body and like the photos from the crime scene but like other than that like it's a show that does a really good job and i think owes a lot to silence of the lambs um yeah as far as like you know the vi- you you remember it being more violent than it is because of the way that they talk about the violence and because of the character's reaction to mm-hmm. you know, said conversations or visiting the crime scenes and i think that it does a good job of like I don't know, being a step above other movies of that ilk that, um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's what they were, they were talking about on the, on the podcast and I'll, and I'll briefly mention here, like so many, because of silence of the lambs, like it is so much of like cinema that came after it, you know, like this, like, um, the, the setup of, of talking to the, the serial killers or something like that, or, um, you know, there have been lesser versions. Like, I think, isn't there a Michael Keaton, Andy Garcia movie that's like Extreme Measures or something like that? Desperate Measures. Desperate Measures. Extreme Measures is something else. But like, you know, similar to that, you know, it's kind of a similar setup. Um, Extreme Measures is also a movie. It is. I don't know I what just, it is. I, it, you mentioned Michael Keaton, so I had yeah, to. Yeah, you had I, to correct. Make sure I, you I get had it. To, in. I did, yeah. yeah. Fun fact about that movie, the, the Andy Garcia's son in that movie is also... Michael Keaton's son in the classic Christmas film, Jack Frost. <laughs> so they'd worked together before. Exactly. They're companion pieces. <laughs> Isn't that that one where that clown or that, that snowman kills all those people? Is that yeah. the one you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. There are two Jack Frosts. <laughs> um, uh, but, but I was also thinking, you know, so like mine hunters, like they're kind of just realizing like, you know, what people find the most fascinating is just, talking to serial killers just like seeing what they're like these weirdos are like um and David then, fincher he's fascinated by yeah that. yeah exactly you know like seven is kind of a um silence of the lambs type of type of movie like in that vein well i i would go with like mind hunters very much like to my mind anyway like they're both you know david fincher obviously but like mm-hmm. it's an extension of zodiac and yeah. when you watch like the making of zodiac like people on the set are talking about how freaky it is because like david fincher knows where zodiac was standing 
for this crimes because he's studied them so much and he's fascinated <laughs> by the killer. And Mindhunter is like one of those shows where it's like, I completely understand like what it's doing to me. Like we should not be celebrating or be interested in serial mm-hmm. killers, even given the scientific benefit to it. But like yeah. the way the show works, it just completely <laughs> like sucks <laughs> me in and makes me a sucker for, for having done so. But. Um, and, and the last thing I'll mention is uh, kind of in the silence of the lambs thing is, uh, so I also watch, I, I love crappy procedurals. Um, I find them fun. Um, so I, I, I've been watching prodigal son, which is a not good show. It is not, not a good show. Like the, the crimes and the investigations are crap. Uh, the, world around it isn't i i don't find that good but michael sheen is in it and he plays kind of the hannibal lectory kind of guy and he's fantastic you yeah know. you you had mentioned it last time uh, when we, oh when did we, i okay so yeah because i because i was watching murder she wrote that was my, <laughs> so, yeah it's pretty similar yeah um but i was noticing because like i don't think he's been in the past two uh i guess he's not in every episode and the the show is not compelling at all when he's not there <laughs> like yeah. there's just no point um but that uh, oh god it made me think of something else and now prodigal oh um so i also started watching lincoln rhymes the hunt for the bone collector which sounds like a japanese import video game but is not it is a you know TV show based on the movie, which is based on the book, The Bone Collector, and it is terrible. <laughs> like, it is badly paced, badly written, badly edited. Like, it, like you can tell from the title that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like, but like maybe no we show should be called. Yeah. As different from from the movie and t- and novel, so that uh, you know to pay respect to the novel by not being called the same thing. But think of any movie title that, or not movie title. Think of any like TV show that is that long, <laughs> like that that title. Like that sounds like a book. Like that's that sounds like a nonfiction book about a man hunting the bone collector, not a TV show. Yeah. Like, call it Lincoln Rhymes. Call it, you know, call it the Bone Collector. That'd be fine. But no, you have to call it Lincoln Rhymes, the Hunt for the Bone. Like, is that going to last seven seasons? I don't think so. Just, if it gets picked up, I guarantee next season will just be called the Bone Collector. <laughs> They're going to change it to something. Yeah, exactly. Like, are they going to, like, that's what I always uh, wonder, like, with these things, like, do they intend to catch the serial killer and then have something else come? Or do they expect like that whole to like be catching, tracking him the entire series? Cause I watched all of the mentalist and that gets boring. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's what I've been doing. Um, Real quick. So I, I just... guess everybody don't do any of those things except yeah. watch silence of the lambs. Well, I, related to that, I just real quick wanted to ask you: Have you have you watched, and what do you think of Manhunter, the Michael Mann, um, uh, uh, yeah, the Michael Mann Hannibal one, and then also have you watched Brian Fuller's TV show Hannibal? So I I have um, seen all of those things. Uh, it's been a long time since I've watched Manhunter. I also watched Red Dragon 
which was the Brett Ratner <laughs> uh, remake of Manhunter. Um, I wasn't that uh, thrilled with with a, either of them. I know you probably love Manhunter for the main character because that actor that you love is in it. Um, William Peterson is yeah, uh, yeah. who played Grissom on, on CSI and plays Will Graham in, in Manhunter, yes. I remember him doing a good job. I just, I don't know, for some reason I couldn't get that into the film. I think it was because you know, Brian Cox plays Hannibal in that one. And once you've seen Anthony Hopkins doing it, it's hard to like watch a different performance. Yeah. Um, I think I've seen two seasons. I, I never watched the last season of Hannibal. Um, oh man. You- yeah. I, I guess I've, I've heard it's, it's good, but I don't know. Like once they know he's the serial killer, I kind of lose interest a little bit. I don't know why. Well, season three is interesting because it's um, it's a it's a it's like two mini seasons in one. So like they kind of go in like the like opposite order of I think the way like the novels and like the way the movies play out because you know like Red Dragon happens first, then he's caught, and then mm-hmm. eventually he escapes and like goes to Italy. In the in the TV show, like at the end of season two, like everyone knows who he is, and season three starts like the first <clears throat> seven or eight episodes are like about him being in Italy. And then the second half of season three is an adaptation of red dragon, which I think yeah. of like Manhunter of the, uh, um, Brett Ratner R- red dragon. I think the TV show does the best like adaptation of it. Um, oh really? They did so, better than Brett Ratner. That's surprising. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. yeah. Um, I think what's crazy, I think Hannibal represents the longest Brian Fuller has ever stuck with a TV show. Yeah, pretty much. That's like even the ones that where that they're still going, he usually leaves after a season. Yeah, because um, he, uh, you know, more and more, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And while he is a genius, I feel like he's kind of his own worst enemy too. Because like I just feel like he's the problem in a lot of these things. Like his yeah. ideas are great, but like if they're not willing to give him the budget that he wants, like, and he wants an insane budget. Like I've been rewatching uh, pushing daisies and it's like, I love that show so much, but I see like why it was never going to last. I'm like, my God, how much were they spending on all of these effects to make it look this way? Like this is a network TV show. They, I mean, sure they have money, but like not for a show like this, (laughs) like, yeah, that not for a show that no one watches. (laughs) Like, I wonder how many people watched Pushing because, like, I, it's always fun to go back and look at those shows that were canceled, and like now that would be one of the biggest TV shows around. Yeah, um, and I, I actually maintain, like, truthfully, like, if you go back and you watch it, Pushing Daisies is the exact same show as Hannibal is, except like, because if you think about it, like, okay. The TV show- no, no, the TV show Hannibal, like the, the the deaths and all that stuff are incredibly elaborate, like really mm-hmm. fucked up and all that stuff. It's the same on Pushing Daisies, only the only thing that's different is the tone. So like, you know, that's like at, at one point in Pushing Daisies, there's, I, I think it's one of the last episodes, someone's like melted on like a lighthouse light um, hmm. and they look like an over easy egg kind of thing, but it's done in that like kind of fantastical fun way to where it's comedy, but you could very easily see a death like that on on Hannibal being like completely over the top gory yeah, and all yeah. That. so it's like both shows by the same creator are essentially the same thing only one's you know a comedy and one is a very dark you know drama yeah so, yeah 
Well, um, so that's going to wrap up our conversation on real steel. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we, uh, I don't know. This is, this is fun. It was always fun uh, to, to talk about this opinions. stuff with you. Well, you know, it's good. This would be boring if we agreed. Yeah. Um, so that's going to, like I said, that's going to wrap up this episode. Um, you know, rate, review, subscribe uh, on your favorite uh, podcasting platforms. Um, give us a shout out on Twitter. Um, and excuse me. Excuse the mic. I'm going to actually have to edit this one. Um, uh, so give us a shout out on Twitter. Ask us a question. See what's uh, going on with that. And we'll be back here uh, later with uh, with another episode. Sounds good. Do See we? Do we? Um, I'm, I'm going to. Do we know what we're doing next? Uh, I can't. I haven't looked at the list, but it's okay. our. I think the next one is our our last episode of season one. So, Ooh, God help us. It better be a good one. We'll see. Um, okay. Anyway. We'll see you back here next time, everybody. Uh, Thank you, and have a wonderful time. (laughs) Bye, everyone.